Today, we continue in our sermon series, New Year. New who? <laughs> that was good. Yeah. yeah. I got it. <laughs> yeah. New Year. New who? There you go. <laughs> so the idea behind the sermon series is that there are several people in Scripture who receive a different name. They go through a name change, and the name change kind of correlates with a change in life. And so that's what brings us today. To the book of Ruth, the first chapter. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elamech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Mahan and Chilion. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elamech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabat wives, and the, name, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they lived there about ten years, both Mahan and Chilion also died. So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus, and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, 
and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from her country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This, this is, is the, the word, word of God, God for us, the, the people, people of God. God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. God, whatever it is that you would have us to hear today, we pray that we hear it with clarity. We pray, God, that it be a transformative word. May your preacher be nothing more than just a vessel, an instrument of your grace. Amen. For those of us who are familiar with the scriptures, when we think about someone who cannot catch a break, when we think about someone who continues to face tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, someone who uh, seems to have every right to blame God for the never-ending calamity that is their life, we often think of Job. Job is the one that we think of most when we think about unfortunate suffering in scriptures. But the argument can be made, though, that Naomi suffers just as much as Job. It's hard to compare sufferings, really. It's unfair to say that this one suffers more than the other due to the nature of suffering. It's hard to categorize types of suffering and to determine which suffering is worse. Yet Naomi, Naomi is going through it. First, there is a famine. The famine is the start of the unraveling of things. Naomi and her husband, they live in Bethlehem. Perhaps you've heard of the place. This is long before a certain baby is born there and puts Bethlehem on the map. And oddly enough, Bethlehem translates as house of bread. There is a famine in the house of bread. And Naomi and her people must relocate to Moab. It's Naomi, her husband, and her two sons, now in the land of Moab. While in Moab, the two sons get hitched to a couple of Moabite ladies. But any good vibes there in Moab are short-lived. While there in Moab, Naomi's husband dies and her two sons perish as well. Famine has pushed them out of their home, and while in the new place, the woman, Naomi, loses all the men in her life. This is a devastating loss, no matter the context. It's an especially devastating loss in the day and time in which Naomi lived. Her husband and her sons, gone. All Naomi is left with are two daughters-in-law, Given the circumstances of the male-dominated culture, where the only security granted for women is that they be wed and have husbands or sons, you can say Naomi had nothing. To make matters worse, she's older now. She's well beyond childbearing years. Her chances of becoming wed again are slim to none. She is one of the types of widows that the baby later born in Bethlehem would emphasize prioritizing care for. 
but his emphasis that several generations down the road, for the time being, she is essentially helpless. The word comes to Naomi that the Lord has looked favorably upon the people of Judah. Bethlehem, the house of bread, is emerging from a famine. A harvest is near. Soon there will be barley. Soon there will be bread. So Naomi figures, well, if I'm going to be desolate, it's probably best that I go be desolate in my own land. So she sets out with the two daughters-in-law, one named Orpah and one named Ruth. And Naomi pleads with the Moabite girls, don't come with me, turn around, go back, stay in Moab, find some husbands there. You know, we, we read it and we interpret it that Naomi's just being kind to them. Uh, we interpret it that she's trying to free them from any feelings of obligations that they may have. But the fact of the matter is, is Naomi is returning to a land with uncertainty, a land in which she thinks there's only going to be so much bread. So she says to him, Moab, that's the place for you. Find husbands there. Let me be. Orpah obliges, but Ruth is a clinger. Ruth clings to Naomi. She says, where you go, I go. Your people will be your people. Great, Naomi must have thought. Another mouth to feed. Further, Ruth says, your God will be my God. At this point, Naomi must think, have you not seen what good this God has been for me? The two widows enter the house of bread, Bethlehem. And when the townspeople see them, they run to greet Naomi, their kin. Is that Naomi? Naomi? Naomi, you're back. Her name, Naomi, literally means pleasant or sweet. She says, don't call me that anymore. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara, which means bitter. And she points out, the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. First, a famine. Then, a refugee then the burial of a husband, then the burial of her two sons. Naomi says, call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Calamity. And she's quick to point out, God, let it happen. She says, God dealt me this hand. So where does her help come from? At this point in the story, she doesn't think it comes at all. Naomi has every right to lament. Ah, there's a word. Lament. A word that we seldom talk about as people of faith. 
It's a, a practice that is prominent in Scripture from Naomi to the Psalms to Job and even to Jesus. Lament is the practice of airing one's frustrations out to God in a no-holds-barred kind of fashion. Lament is the honest expression of one's feelings toward God in times of suffering. It's the taking off of the mask that you wear that pretends everything is all right when it's not. It is the hurtful proclamation of feeling as if God has abandoned you or dealt harshly with you. It is the, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. It is, the Lord has dealt harshly with me and brought calamity upon me. It is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is, why, God, is cancer still a thing? It is, why, God, do good people die young? Why, God, do hopeful parents bury their babies? Why don't you stop the tornadoes and the fires and the mass murders? Why viruses, God? Why? Where are you and why do you bring such calamity upon us? As people, at, as people of faith, at some point in our practice, we have devalued lament, even though it is a perfectly acceptable biblical practice. Scripture encourages lament, but we often feel as if if we are to cry out like Naomi, that somehow makes us less faithful. This simply is not true. As William Sloan Coffin put it in the sermon at his own son's funeral, when we cry out, my God, my God, well then at least, my God, my God. Crying out in frustration to God is indeed an act of faith. Although Naomi cries out in a bit of rage, at least she still acknowledges that there is a God. So long as there is a God, so long as there is a my God, my God, there is hope. There is hope. That's why at some point during the week, you're going to have homework. You need to read the rest of Ruth. It's only four chapters. There will be no quiz, but you need to take a look at it. And that's why sometime this week you also need to turn to Matthew chapter 1. It's the beginning of what we call the New Testament. It's the first gospel presented to us. And in that very first chapter, that very first gospel presented to us, you will find there Jesus' genealogy. And you'll notice a familiar name. A name that only gets there because there was a famine, and there were deaths, and there were unfortunate events. Let me spoil that one for you. The baby later born in Bethlehem is a descendant of Ruth from Moab, who enters God's story of redemption because Naomi first experienced a famine in the same house of bread where the baby will be born. The bread of the world born in the house of bread in the extended family of one who had no bread. 
Ruth 1 is a bleak story. You're not going to hear it preached on in any prosperity gospel kinds of churches. It's a chapter full of heartache and pain. It's a chapter of of lament. But believe it or not, even chapter 1 is a chapter of hope. So where is the hope? The hope is in the last sentence. They came to Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth, at the beginning of the barley harvest. There's the hope. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. As one commentator put it, crunch, crunch goes the sound of grain kernels popping under the women's sandals. It is the sound of hope. Crunch, crunch. That's what they hear as they enter Bethlehem. It's a hopeful sound. Crunch, crunch. In the midst of great sorrow, and after God himself has just endured a full frontal assault from Naomi, getting chalked up as the destroyer of life, suddenly God lets the sound of barley crunch be heard. God cannot be counted out just yet. Something more is in the works. The story of God continues. It's a story of lament and loss and love and redemption and hope. And the story is still unfolding. And we are in it. So as you look around, and things look bleak, which if you've been, if you've been looking around lately, you've probably felt as if things seem and look bleak. Really bleak. Just remember, crunch, crunch, there is hope. So long as there is a my God, my God, there is hope. Always hope. Would you pray with me? God, make it possible for us to hear the sounds of hope in whatever forms you would have us hear them. Open our eyes so that we can see visions of hope in whatever forms they present themselves. Help us to be the hope. us to receive the hope. It is in the name of the bread of the world, born in the house of bread, that we pray. And all God's people say,